Wednesday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host. I'm Chris Henry from the EAA Aviation Museum. And Chris, we've got, uh, it's, a, it's a dream come true, two guys from Pittsburgh on the same show. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I, I feel that we should, like, crack open an, uh, you know, an icy light and uh, have some <laughs> Manny Brothers here or something. <laughs> wow. Well, we've, we've, got a gr- we've got a great guest. Uh, he's been on uh, my uh, other, other minute shows, and uh, he is, uh, gosh, there's so, so much to talk about with him. Uh, he is a, uh, a veteran helicopter pilot for the U.S. Army. A, uh, a, a medical doctor. He's a gynecologist. He also uh, works with uh, the amazing microscopic robotic uh, unit called the Da Vinci, which uh, has revolutionized uh, modern surgery. And uh, good, uh, he, he has great taste in electric cars. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. And uh, welcome, uh, Dr. John DeLemba. Thanks for being on our show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, it's an honor, actually. And it's 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 always fun to talk to you. You've got so many great stories. You've had such you've had such a life, and uh, you know a, a small part of which was uh, was flying machines that really have no business staying in the air. <laughs> Absolutely uh, but, correct. <laughs> yeah, um, but you were you were a uh, you were a helicopter pilot in a, for the for the U.S. Army uh, during the Vietnam era. What, what what years were you doing that? I well, from 1968 to 72, uh, I was in Vietnam for one year, from January uh, to December of 1970. Then when I came back, I was a flight instructor down here in Texas, uh, Mineral Wells, but I lived in Fort Worth. Uh, it, it was fun. And of course, my degree is in aviation. Uh, you know, everything is, is, is aviation, although I did end up as a gynecologist. I know it's, yeah. it's kind of a roundabout route. <laughs> yeah. a, man, a man for all seasons, for sure. <laughs> Uh, wow. So, so at, the, at the time that Apollo 13 was going on, you were, you were flying helicopters in Vietnam. Yes, I was. Yes. And what, what, kind, what kind of helicopters were you running? What, what models? It was the Huey. And, uh, you know, we call, oh. we call it the Huey. It's the UH-1 Iroquois and, and made by Bell. Uh, it, it was a great, great, great aircraft. I, I loved it. Yeah. Wow. And uh, uh, Chris has uh, personal, uh, uh, personal feelings about the Huey because uh, the EAA Museum has recently acquired uh, one for their collection. And Chris, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we actually uh, we're getting it here in just a couple weeks. It's being delivered. It's a uh, uh, it's a Bravo model, a B model that was a uh, gunship in the 121st, uh, uh, the Vikings. And uh, we're uh, we're excited to get it because we're. You know, we're we're a, a large aviation museum, but we're not as large as some place like Dayton or uh, or Air and Space as far as actual ground, uh, you know, acreage. And um, so we try to cover all different pieces of history. And you know, we're not a military museum either, which makes it tough because you know we, I could very easily, you know, uh, want to fill up our our hangar with an F four, F one hundred five, and a bunch of helicopters, you know. And and um, so we had to basically be very picky, and we had to get one aircraft that was going to uh, basically be the symbol for our Vietnam era exhibit. And I, I think most people would argue that that symbol is most certainly the Huey from Vietnam. And uh, we're very fortunate Lighthouse uh, or Lighthorse Legacy uh, 
uh, donated a Bravo model to us, and uh, we can't wait to see it. Oh, that's great. It's, it's a wonderful machine, and, and I think you're correct. Aviation-wise, it is, it is like the face of, of Vietnam. I really do. I mean, I was telling somebody, if you're going to go make a movie about Vietnam, the first thing you have to get is a Huey and an M16. <laughs> Those right. are the things you got to <laughs> exactly. find. That was, that was the war. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, how, uh, John, how did you wind up uh, flying rotary wing aircraft? How, how did that How did they come about? <laughs> well, after I got kicked out of college, well, then... <laughs> <laughs> Growing up in Pittsburgh, you know, I, I don't like bugs. I don't want to be in a tent, and of course, certainly not a jungle. And I always wanted to fly. Aviation was was a dream as a young boy. So, Air Force, Navy, and Marines. To be an officer, you have to have a college degree. Army, they'll take pretty much anybody. And so, I, I took some tests at AFQRTS and, and and did very well. And next thing you know, I went through. Uh, they said, "Oh, okay, you could be a helicopter because we can train monkeys." be a helicopter and there i was so <laughs> wow I, I i've i've always been amazed i mean when i i've i've tried flight simulators with uh with you know regular regular propeller air, aircraft uh but i've tried i've been in a uh, uh aerospace uh flight simulator and uh, I found I, I do not have the coordination to be out. I'm worse than a monkey in this case. Cause <laughs> I've tried it. And it's like it just go. It feels like it goes against every inclination you have to how to get up in the air is, <laughs> of moving your arms. It's, I, I, I'm always impressed by helicopter pilots. Well, Jim, what's frustrating me now is, you know, I have those little hovercrafts that they have out there and I can't fly them. What? <laughs> like, what is wrong? I used to be able to fly a helicopter. Now I can't even do these drones things. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. Oh wow! Yeah. The, uh, do you remember your first? Do you remember your first uh, solo in a in a helicopter? What yes. was it? How did it, that it, feel? It was quite. It was it was nerve wracking, uh, because if the instructor feels that you're that you're safe, then you probably are safe, but you never know. And my knees were shaking. Uh, it, 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 it was quite, quite the uh, ordeal. And, you know, you, you take off. And with a helicopter, it's not like in an airplane. You are hovering, which you, you can still destroy yourself and the airplane from a three-foot hover. So, uh, you know, the, the flight instructor gets out. He buckles his seat. And, um, and he kind of does it by surprise, usually. They say, park over here. And they're giving you a hard time. And you think that I'll never make it. I'm going to flunk out. And then he go, he buckles his seat and he says, "Have a good time. See you. See you in three takeoffs and landings." Like, wow. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and of course, your mind goes blank. You're wondering, "What am I going to do now? How did I do this?" <laughs> now, did you go through uh, Fort Rucker for training, or did you go well, first else? Fort Walters, which was the primary training? Which I think eventually they changed that. That was in Mineral Wells with the tiny little Hughes. Uh, Oh, like the, yeah, like the TH-55 or something exactly. like that. Exactly, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah. You know, eight fan belts and, and plastic tail rotor <laughs> is what kept that thing up there. 180 horsepower out light combing engine. So then um, from there, then you did go to Fort Rucker in Alabama, um, and that's where you started learning Huey. And, it, of course, the, the maneuvers were the same with your controls, but, boy, what a difference from, you know, a, a V&E, which, you know, velocity never to exceed is 75 knots. You have to kind of put your feet up on the plexiglass so it doesn't bend in to, to, the, to the Huey, which is a jet engine. So. Wow. 
Wow. That, did, did you train? Did you train with uh, when you when you were at Rucker? Did did you have to train with troops like on o loading and unloading? Because I would think that that center of gravity change as everybody gets off must be really something to to try to hang on to while you're while you're still your engines running and everything. No, we really didn't do that. Uh, we did that in Vietnam. Yeah. But but that that just came with experience. Pretty much, they were just hoping that we could learn to fly the airplane and then then go to Vietnam. <laughs> 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 on the job training, right? <laughs> that, it exactly was, because they called us new guys, um, oh. with 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 a word in front of it. But, um, but <laughs> they were still saying we were urinating stateside water. So. <laughs> wow! <laughs> but in army terms, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh man, uh, what unit were you with over there? It was called the 68th Top Tigers. It was 1st Aviation Brigade, 145th Aviation Battalion. We were based in what's called 3 Corps, which is, you know, I Corps is up, up near Way, and then there was 2 Corps, and, and then us, and then the, the very far south was the 4 Corps. So we, we were only about oh, 20 miles from Saigon, which is now oh, Ho Chi Minh wow. City. Wow. We covered a large area all the way from the ocean to Cambodia. It was, it was fun. I know it sounds silly, but it was fun. <laughs> wow, oh, that's uh, incredible. Yeah, no, and, a, and a, an entire year there, right in the right in the middle of all of all this going on. Did when you were in Vietnam, did you hear much about the space program? I mean, I know your your mind was on other things at the time, but I was just wondering how much how much the space program showed up with troops in Vietnam watching this stuff. Quite a bit. One, we had um, the the radio station. Armed Forces Vietnam, uh, and of course they made a movie from that. Yeah, but but uh, so we also had some TV, so we would we would watch television, and it would show quite a bit. So yes, we were familiar with it. Uh, we didn't hear everything, but yeah, and of course there's a time difference be between that. I think it was like 14 hours difference. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, it was it was it was a fascinating experience. And, to, to, to know what's going on in the States, even like the Super Bowl and things like that. It was, it was amazing. Wow. We, uh, wow. we had um, uh, Frank Borman on our show uh, early, oh, earlier, and he had, oh. talked about, he had talked about a problem that many of the astronauts had was that, you know, they were, they were all military men, and mm -hmm. uh, right, you know, even Neil Armstrong, even though he was a civilian, he had spent time in the Air Force. And uh, a lot of them felt like they, they, they felt bad that they weren't in Vietnam because the— you know, their war and, the, and other guys were, were fighting and they were, they were kind of like off on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it, it's kind of an odd feeling to think, well, they were also, yeah. you know, ser serving the country by, by going to the moon and beating the Russians. So. Exactly. It was, yeah. wow. They, they were, they were, he felt bad because they were in Vietnam because I, yeah. I wasn't in space. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, well, the one cool thing that happened was we, uh, one of the times we had Colonel Borman uh, speak at our museum, we got a note. A uh, guy couldn't make it, but he, he passed a note. Uh, and he said, if you could give that to, to Colonel Borman, I'd appreciate it. And I gave it to him, and Colonel Borman read it while I was standing there with him. And it just said, uh, in 1968, when you went to the moon, we were in, uh, in a jungle in Vietnam, and things weren't so good. And he says, then one night, we had word that you guys were up there around the moon and we thought if we can send a man to the moon surely we can figure a way out of the here you know mm -hmm. and we can make it out of right. here and and I'll, I'll never forget frank folded that note and put it in his pocket 
you know, and it's like that's that's cool stuff. <laughs> it is. It is. That's you know, it, 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 you need anything at times to to keep your spirits up, and of course, you, you could look at the moon and you think, think, oh my gosh, there's Americans up there, because that's why we were there, because other Americans were there, and, and and so that probably was a great inspiration for those guys out in the jungle. Yeah. 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 So when uh, after you after you worked with uh, with helicopters in Vietnam and you came home stateside, did did you still want to work with helicopters? I, where where did that where did it leave you? Did you have a love of helicopters when well, when you were done? I, I still do. In fact, the the robot, as you had mentioned, has hand controls and foot pedals. So while I'm doing my surgery, I sometimes flash back like I'm in Vietnam, uh, you know, things like that. So <laughs> <laughs> and I actually do say that to my patients, but I add uh, you know some other things to it, and they're like. Do we really want this guy to operate on? But, <laughs> yeah. but, they, but they know I'm joking because I always caution that I have a silly sense of humor and in the army, and, they, and, they, and most of them can tolerate that. But, but no, I I love helicopters. It is a way of flying that's 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 unbelievable. Um, I if you're going to go anywhere, it, it needs to be fixed wing, which which uh, I, I did have at one point also after the army. But um, no, you, it, it, it's I flew for the Pennsylvania National Guard when I got out of the army wanted to fly for the airlines, and of course the fuel crisis hit. So, because yeah. I'd gone to Embry-Riddle, which is down in Daytona Beach, uh, the, their main campus. Did I, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, I, yeah. I, I, it dropped out. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Embry-Riddle Embry is, is a top-notch school, and oh, yeah. the idea of going back when you, uh, when you came back, it's like, you know, it's like deciding to go to Harvard after you, you know, you want to be a lawyer. It's just, that's the place to be. Um, well, they actually, they actually had mentioned that it was in an old magazine called Time Magazine, and they were interviewing the president of, of Embry-Riddle. And, and they said, so we've heard that you're sort of the Harvard of aviation. And he said, no, Harvard's the Embry-Riddle of <laughs> universities. So, <laughs> so it's funny that you did mention that about Harvard. Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, I mean, they're 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 the the, the go to for, for for aviation schools, and then you, after you got your after you got into commercial piloting, that that didn't work out because of all the fuel crisis and and basically commercial aircraft was like, right. man, not today. And uh, we've talked about this before, but the switch from going from uh, uh, piloting to gynecology is kind of a stretch for most people. So. <laughs> Just maybe, well, maybe, not um, exactly, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I know, I know that, like the, the joke about pilots is, you know, people go, "Well, I'm a, I'm a pilot," but I don't know, I, I don't know how many parties you go to where you have to bring up, "I'm a gynecologist." <laughs> Although maybe that, I don't know. I, I did get advanced standing because of being a pilot, but um, as a gynecologist. But as we, uh, <laughs> when I went back to, to Pittsburgh because the fuel crisis hit and, and I worked for my dad for a short time as a bartender, then I, got a, I was waiting for the airlines to open up and I got a job with Pfizer as a pharmaceutical sales rep. So I had like the panhandle of West Virginia and Western Pennsylvania and the bordering of Ohio. And, and, and I thought you had to be really smart to be a doctor and I'm like, what? Once I called them, I'm like, I could do this. <laughs> Especially when I was in West Virginia. No offense to anybody from West Virginia. Okay? I, mean, <laughs> I apologize. It's just, it, it goes with the story. Yeah. 
But I thought, okay, I, I can do this. And I went back to the University of Pittsburgh and, and uh, did my pre-med requirements because I didn't have a lot of the science courses. And at age 30, uh, after about a year and a half at, at Pitt, I went to University of Pennsylvania and got in. And, and that's why I, I always have a chip on my shoulder when I hear Harvard because they're, <laughs> they're the Harvard of, of Ivy yeah. Leagues. And, you know, we're <laughs> sort of the stepchild of Ivy Leagues. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah. but, as a, it, but as a gynecologist, when I started, I thought I was going to be a family doctor because, as you can tell, I love to talk. I'll talk forever until somebody tells me to shut up. And so <laughs> uh, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll be a family practice doctor. This will be great. But once I walked into the operating room, it's like a, like, it's like a cockpit. You yep. walk in. I can almost hear music when I walk in, like get it strapping in. You do the same thing. Put your gown on. It's like putting your helmet on. I mean – there's so many similarities, and, and I felt extremely comfortable in that environment. And, of course, that was being 30 when I started med school, 34 when I finished. I'm like, I'm getting old. <laughs> so, you know, doing any other training in surgery, usually five years and beyond. As a gynecologist, it's only four years. So we're not very good surgeons, but we just, you know, it just <laughs> we can still be call ourselves one at times. Yeah, and, and you've got, you've gotten into one of the most exciting parts of uh, of the medical practice of being able to work with robotic surgery and the, and the I mean I, I've watched uh, I've watched YouTube's about the Da Vinci uh, system and it's just, these are the kind of things where you can sew skin back on a grape and thing it's just astonishing what what's capable what what the technology is capable of in the right hands. It's phenomenal. It, it, it's like flying a simulator, uh, but but it's three dimensional. When you're, when you're sitting there, things are magnified 10 times. You have elbow and wrist action. Uh, of course, people say you lose a tactile sense, but our brains are so, so, such a wonderful machine that you actually adapt a, a visual tactile sense. Just like when I was flying the helicopter, I could almost sense 52 feet behind me that that tail rotor and the, and the stinger was about ready to touch the runway. You just get a sense of this machine, and it's the same thing. But, yeah, I've been doing it for 13 and a half years and, and fortunately started before many other people. And besides being instruments like, like a helicopter has controls and also the, it was laparoscopy, which I had done for 20 years as a gynecologist, so it melded into me as, as, as a machine and human. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's funny how you never think that being a helicopter pilot would would help you in your in your career that way. But obviously, you're flying inside a human body instead exactly. of out you know out in the jungle and things. So it's just it's it's an astonishing transfer of, of uh, experience. Oh, it, it, it my experience throughout my whole life has put me where I'm at, and I've been able to go around the world and and uh, uh, you know just just. It's been a great experience my my whole life, but certainly in medicine because I, even even at that meeting I was at yesterday that you happened to stop by, there were two people in there I trained the robot on back in 08 and 09. So I've been, again, trained people around the world. Even last year I was in Taiwan talking about the robot and, and the problem I treat called endometriosis. Wow. Yeah. So you're still you're still flying in saving people. So that's a, that's that's a, right. a, a pretty good pretty good life career. I, 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 it's just amazing, John. Um, wow. Uh, gosh. And 
I know you you would consider you know if you could only go into space, but it doesn't sound like you have, you don't have any regrets of where you're at. I mean, you're really doing you know for that follow your bliss thing. You really know uh, you're enjoying your life doing this. I can tell. I, extremely. That's why when we had our lockdown recently from from the virus, and I wasn't doing surgery, I thought I can never retire because this is actually. I know it sounds horrible, but it's fun for me. Yeah, no, you, you, uh, you know, and and I know as the technology is building up, there's there's uh, telemedicine that's going on where you can yes. do things remotely, and you've you've experienced some of that lately, right? As, haven't you been doing some telemedicine work? Well, I always have been doing that because I have patients from around the world, around the country, and so they can't always fly in to, to have met me. So so I do either phone calls or or Skype or, or Zoom visits with people. So so I was even doing it for for several years even before the, the virus. So to me, it was just a nice transition to uh, you know. For the patients, they didn't like it, but for me, it was great. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just wondering if the if Da Vinci can be worked remotely at all, or is there still a, a, a lag problem? Uh, slightly. Well, in two thousand and one, they it wasn't the Da Vinci at the time. It was called Zeus. It was a different one, but they took a gallbladder out in Strasbourg, France, and the surgeon was in New York City. Holy cow! Uh, yeah, wow. and so <laughs> in the mid nineties, actually, a lot of the the robot technology was for NASA. Because they wanted to put a robot up in the space station or down in Antarctica, different places. But yes, there is a little bit of a time lag. So you do have to have a surgeon there because if you cut a blood vessel and it's even a half a second delay in in transmission, then things have changed in that half a second. So um, somebody has to be there. Uh, But yes, remotely, we have 50 feet of, of, of... Cable just on the routine one, so I'm I'm next near the patient, but I'm not next to the patient. Wow! I, wow. I, I just keep picturing the patient li- laying there and looking up at the ceiling with the words "hold still" blinking. <laughs> <on it. laughs> Man, that's wild. I'm not even scrubbed in. I mean, I scrub in to put the instruments in, but once that's done, I break out a scrub and I sit at the console and dance to my music sometimes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, one other question on that, as we're, as we're supposed to be talking about Paul, uh, what, uh, one other question that uh, we can, we can talk about. Uh, we, we do see uh, Jim Lovell's son uh, away at military school in Wisconsin. Isn't that right, Chris? Isn't he in Wisconsin? I believe, uh, I believe he was. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was in military school. And uh, John, I know you were in military school back in the sixties, right? Is that right? Correct. I, I graduated in 1967. Uh, growing up, I was I was not your typical student. I was I was a little bad, uh, flinking English and general <laughs> math in public high school. So um, <laughs> I went away to military school down in Philadelphia, and and they actually made a movie after I left there uh, with Tom Cruise, Sean Penn, Timothy Hutton, George C. Scott called Taps. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, Bunker yeah, Hill. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was actually Valley Forge Military Academy where I went, and and. Uh, of course, they wouldn't let them use the name Valley Forge because, you know, people got killed in it. <laughs> so they're like, yeah. what, what our name associated with that? But uh, so I started ninth grade over, went down there, and actually did very well once I had some discipline. And, um, and of course, then that college that I mentioned then got kicked out of there. So. Yeah, but you could, you, you could at least point to that when the Army was asking, <laughs> say, what about this? Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, so it was, you know, when they showed the, 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 his son there in, in military school, it was like, wow, 
wow, uh, you know, I, I, I remember being there. Well, of course, I was there when John F. Kennedy was shot. And it, 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 I, we kind of had the same looks on our faces at the time. It was such a, such a jolt. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I mean, it must be difficult, like family life, when you're when you're away at military school, and he's he's there while this big family yeah. happening is is going on. So it must just that sense of isolation. Very much. So. I, did it did it prepare you for Vietnam? For I mean, if you're far away in a military school, it, I mean, in Vietnam, did you have the same experience of being kind of separated from your loved ones that way? Well, sort of. I mean, doing it as a young teen, you know, I was 13, 14 years old when I left. And you're gone except for Christmas, uh, Easter, and, and the summer. Uh, yeah. Of course, you know my girlfriend was mad at me. She had broken up, so so I didn't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants me. I'm going to Vietnam because I tried to go to the service academies, but but didn't get in because of my great experience in college. The first time, so so, um, <laughs> so now. <laughs> Service academies didn't want me. My girlfriend didn't want me. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll just go do something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Well, it it all landed jelly side up, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> As I tease my patients, I go, I never said I graduated medical school, <laughs> but I did. People make I did. I did. <laughs> people people make a lot of assumptions when they see a, a guy in scrubs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wow. Oh, well, that's John, funny. Th- thanks so much for being on the show. That's and uh, th- thanks for your service in Vietnam. It's, it's, it's always great uh, talking to folks who, who lived through the experience. And, uh, you know, it, it, 1970 was such a complicated year. It was such a, uh, a yes. big year for, for, for families and for, you know, people all around the world. Uh, so many things going on. I mean, uh, you know, the, the war raging, mm-hmm. uh, people lost in space, uh, you know, all, ki- all kinds of stuff happening. And mm-hmm. it's just it's, it's hard to think gosh this is all, you know i mean we're here in 2020 with a with a pandemic and stuff but there's there was so much going on 50 years ago oh, very um, much so. could i just mention one thing that just just the irony and how small this huge world is with with six to seven billion people in it when i was flying you know i didn't do just medevac but every once in a while we would do one and i, I landed at a hospital right outside saigon or in saigon but it's now called ho chi minh city and when I landed, um, uh, you know, dropped, dropped some people off and then, and then left. But we now have a thoracic surgeon in our town here in Denton. Um, and the surgeon, the, uh, the thoracic surgeon, his dad was an OBGYN at that hospital at that time. Wow. Wow. Is this not? And then he ended up wow. in Pennsylvania when they came over here in 1975. But, but talk about a small world. His Jeez. office is like 100 yards from mine. <laughs> wow. Like, wow! Yeah, I landed at your dad's hospital. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it, it, it. My my wife says this all the time. She says she feels sometimes like uh, life is being written uh, you know, as a Mad Libs fill out. You know, you're filling <laughs> yeah, the blank. Like, exactly. Uh, OBGYN in Saigon. You know. <laughs> wow. It's so it's so wild. But uh, yeah, it's an, an amazing time. And you know, the, the great news is, despite all this. You survived. You, you know, you got you got back home, and right. you have this you have the second career where you're you're still saving lives even to this day, and uh, it's just a, a great a great life. Um, but thank anyway. Thanks for being on the show, and I'm sure I'm you know I've got a lot of movies to make to to talk about in the future, so I'll definitely have you back on. And uh, 
We gotta I know find a made... Pittsburgh-based one. Maybe we can get a. Yeah, we gotta do striking distance or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, or um, uh, uh, what's the one with uh, Maniac? You know, the break. Uh, gosh, the Jennifer Beals. Um, yes. Flesh dance. Flesh. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or, or we could do the one with the dirigible when they're trying to destroy the Steelers in oh, the Super Bowl. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Steelers Raiders, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Oh, there's, you know, there's always Night of the Living Dead. That, uh, that's true. <laughs> that's old. true. And uh, what else is there? There's, uh, there's, there's some great ones. Gosh, yeah, Pittsburgh you know, is I, like the Hollywood of Pennsylvania. I love my one of my guilty pleasure movies that I love, and and nobody today, you know, none of none, nobody my age or younger has probably ever heard of this movie. There was a movie called Gung Ho. Oh, yeah. um, about automobiles. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, building yeah. cars with the Japanese in Pittsburgh, and, right? Because uh, he's from Pittsburgh. The, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, love that movie. My old man just always loved that movie because they they filmed some of it in his steel mill, and uh, he that was his brush with Hollywood. Wow. <laughs> you know, so, wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm writing all this down. We'll we'll get back together and talk. Yes. <laughs> wow. Awesome. But again, thank thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, I know you made a lifelong friend in Chris now. Oh, yeah. Steelers never, yes, you know, steel's magnetic. That's the way it is. Uh, (laughs) Aviation, the Steelers, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, a match made in heaven. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Wow. Well, for folks who've missed any of our previous episodes that are just as good as this, well, not quite as good, this is the best episode we've ever had. uh, (laughs) You said that last time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if uh, it just keeps getting better and better, so people have to tune in. Uh, but but if you'd like to listen to the show, we've, we're always available on the big site Apollo Thirteen Minute Apollo One Three Minute dot com, or uh, and any of your favorite podcatchers like uh, uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or um, you know them all Spotify and all that. Uh, join us on social media at uh, Apollo Thirteen Minute Mission Control or on Twitter at Apollo Thirteen Minute. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. And gosh, there's there's there's, there's helicopters circling around, so you know there's got to be trouble. Uh, but um, it looks like we're coming up on loss of signal in about 30 seconds. So we will see you here tomorrow on the Apollo 13 minute.